for about two and a half years. November of 2018 is when I got here. Looks like we're good. You're not Okay, thank you everybody. I'm glad that you are here today as we are continuing, potentially concluding our study of Philippians. And I say potentially because Pastor Finke is gonna be here next week. And he'll be preaching on Sunday. I'll be here too. He'll be preaching on Sunday. And I'm going to give him an opportunity to lead Bible study as well if he wants to. But if he doesn't want to, then we'll, um, we'll tie a bow on Philippians. Um, but we are uh, in that last chapter of Philippians. If you want to grab uh, your Bibles or a Bible in the, the pew back there and go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter four. We're going to talk about joy. We're going to talk about anxiety and where those things kind of intersect in the Lord. But let me open us with a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, the all-availing sacrifice who takes away our sins and gives us confidence to stand before your throne, to offer prayers unto you, and to give thanks always and in every circumstance. Enlighten our study of your word this morning. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would teach us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I start with a interesting conundrum, if you will. I don't have an answer for it, at least not one answer. Um, the United States of America in the 21st century is arguably the most prosperous country, not only in the world, but in the history of the world. While also at the same time, it's, it, there are more per capita uses of antidepressants, anti-anxiety medicines, all these sorts of things. At the same time, now, I want to be careful here. That's not to say that there isn't ever a valid or necessary use for those things. Of course, there is. But why would it be that in this country at this time, even though by all material accounts, we're doing better than anybody has ever done, perhaps in the history of the world. Why would it be that at the same time, people are so sad and downcast and anxious? So like I said, I don't have one answer to that, but I want to open it up to you guys as we get started. What are your thoughts on that? Is that something that you considered as well and kind of remarked on? Go ahead, Hans. I think it's a lack of contentment. A lack of contentment. Yeah. Good, yeah. Um, and so it's like we need more and more and more, but it's never enough. Yeah, go ahead. I think it's what you talked about in your sermon. That's a good answer too, but say more. <laughs> well, the, when sin came into the world, yeah. it ruptured a lot of things. Yes our relationship to God, our relationship with each other, yep. and our relationship with ourselves. Yes. yes, that's right. Good, thank you for making that connection. Yeah, that's one of the fallouts of sin is that we're not able to have that content. We're not even able to be at peace within ourselves. Yeah, Gordon. Yes, uh, I understand that there's only, it's almost less than 40% of people in the United States are church affiliated. Sure, so Gordon brings out a statistic, remembering of course that 72% of all statistics are made up. But uh, <laughs> that, uh, but, that made up? <laughs> but that uh, I mean, but I've heard the same things. I read the same things that perhaps less than forty percent of Americans certainly are regular churchgoers. Um, some people retain affiliations to churches, but long after they've actually you know had any kind of vital connection. So I think that obviously factors into. Any other thoughts? Yeah, go ahead, Laura. Um, yeah, I, I work in the mental health field, so there might oh. be more positive spin on that, okay. that perhaps I mean we know the world has been 
following the whole history of the world. So yes. There may always have been as many depressed and anxious people, but we didn't always have medication okay. to help them. That's fair. So possibly it means more people are able to get help than Okay, good. That's that's a helpful other vantage point to look at. So do you hear what she said? That another way to consider that is look, people have always been sad. They've already been always been downcast. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet, um, but there hasn't always been um, the medications that can also be helpful. So that, that that's a, a good important point. Yeah, go ahead. Well, sometimes it's a hereditary thing. Sure, it can be a hereditary thing. With a medication, it helps you to. I mean, a lot of Christians take these yes. medications, a lot of people in our own family take them. Um, yeah, so please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that, this, that these are always inappropriate or um, that Christians should not use it or anything like that. And in the sermon today, I, I talk about that as well. But to, to recognize that there is a disproportionate, I would, I would say that there is a, a sense of a disproportion there, um, that there's something out of balance with our material means and the degree of happiness and contentment that those have accomplished within our society. Fair to say. Well, what yeah, you're saying is you can be a millionaire and not be very happy. Yes, you can be a millionaire and not be happy. Go ahead, Peter. The reason for the Mexican drug cartels is not Mexican. Mm. It's hard to manage. Sure, right. Yeah. You step away from God, you look Right. Yeah, we step away from God. We look for replacements. The replacements don't work. It gets us into that cycle. One more. Go ahead. Yeah. We're about to. Go ahead. We're not tough anymore. But by the way, is the air comfortable in here? Do I need to turn up the air conditioning? I was just. It's that's a joke, guys. It's cold. That was a joke. But this is just your point, right? We, we I mean, people have said we have kind of this climate-controlled culture where we want things to be. We don't want to ever be a little bit uncomfortable. And yeah, that that can be kind of that can be part of it too. Well, I want to go to Philippians chapter four. And the reason I start this way is because what Paul gets from from one vantage point. Look at these these verses, we're going to start with verse four, is really some antidotes to anxiety, some antidotes to anxiety. Now, those of you who uh, receive my weekly um, newsletter, my inklings, and study them studiously, um, you might remember um, a few months ago, I wrote um, uh, an article inspired by just this passage with that title, Antidotes to Anxiety. So some of what I'm going to say here is kind of reiterating that. But um, I think that this is a wonderful, powerful text where Paul brings us to the salve, the balm of the good news of Jesus and how that provides the true source of healing that we need. So let me read for us verses uh, four through nine of Philippians chapter four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, 
think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, so I want to walk through this step by step and kind of unpack what Paul's saying in terms of um, five antidotes to anxiety that Paul lifts up in this passage. And the first one is this, rejoice always, rejoice always. Now, here's why this is a challenging word, and you know this already, but uh, many times our life is not worth rejoicing over. We're in a place where we don't feel like we want to rejoice. And yet there's that word, rejoice in the Lord always. And Paul even repeats him just in case we didn't hear it right. Like, rip, 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 rip. What was that? Rejoice in the Lord. Again, let me say, rejoice so that you do not miss it. So that is unmistakable. And I guess the question is then, so does that mean we rejoice only when we are feeling like rejoicing? Or is there a sense in which joy and rejoicing is a choice? Is it possible that joy is not only a feeling, which it undoubtedly is, but that it's also a choice, a decision that we make? I'm seeing some nodding heads. I think that it is. I think that we are able to rejoice because, and this is you know, a, a preacher's commonplace, because joy is to be distinguished from happiness, right? From a mere kind of fleeting, you know, you're happy because the Tigers won a game. Finally, yay! They did. I know, I was happy. But it is a fleeting happiness, see, Carl. It's a fleeting Because they're going to lose today. Because they're going to lose today. Um, but that joy is this deeper thing. And because it is founded not on the, the shifting sands of our daily circumstances, but on the solid rock of Christ's victory, then you and I, in the midst of all of those sorrows and struggles, all of those tears, all of those L's that keep adding up, still we're able to rejoice. And I think there's another side to this too, where, um, well, you've heard that phrase, fake it till you make it. Okay. Um, that's a helpful bit of wisdom in a lot of different areas. But I think that there's something about being able to be joyful, even in the midst of hard things and, and acting that way. And wonder of wonders, your heart and your attitude can follow. Have you ever noticed that? And I know people like this, Gordon's one of them, uh, and others, um, Ellen Hoyer is another one, who are always smiling, are always smiling. And when, because, I don't know, Gordon, what your, what your trick is, what your secret is, but it's like out of that smiling, and I think that there's been research, maybe others of you can testify to this, that that outward action of smiling actually improves your internal mood. Like if you're always frowning, they say it takes more muscles to frown than to smile. <laughs> if you're always frowning, you're going to start to feel that way. It's like it's sending this subconscious message to your brain and to your heart. I guess we're sad right now. But on the flip side, when we're able to retain that happy posture, I should say, that joyful posture, it, it sends that subliminal message to our soul. Now, again, sometimes we shouldn't be smiling. If you have seen the kids' movie Inside Out, well, I say kids' movie, that's not really fair. Um, it's branded for kids, but it's really a great movie for kids and adults alike. It's from Pixar, people who, from the people who brought you Toy Story and Cars and so forth. And Inside Out is this wonderful story about emotions. And it has a joy character, and it has an anger character, and it has, a, I think, a sorrow character, something like that. She's blue, right? And at first, Joy, her name is Joy, 
just thinks she's the one who should always be winning all the time. I think I would have named her happiness, but the idea, like, I should always be happy. Joy, joy, things are always good. You always got to have a bright outlook on life. And part of the takeaway of the movie is it's okay to be sad too. There are times to be sad. This is a very biblical idea, right? Um, that, that goes hand in hand. But in the midst of that, as Paul says elsewhere, we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. He says that in, in 2 Corinthians 5 or 6. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Both of those at the same time. So that's his first antidote to anxiety. Rejoice always. Other thoughts or reflections on that, that challenge or that decision to be joyful always. Go ahead. I don't know about that, um, but your emotions come from inside. Your emotions come and from inside, right. The Lutheran Church, I think, does it so beautifully. It's a treasure because um, at the time that your emotions aren't there, we hear the truth of God's word, yeah. which is not. Yes our emotion inside. Yes. Right. And so we we hear that over the truth. The yes. truth is coming. So you're sitting there and your emotions are all over the place. Yeah. But you come to hear the truth. Right. That's right. Word. This, uh, this is really um, a profound gift that we have within our Lutheran tradition and not only in Lutheran tradition, but especially so. This recognition of the object, objectivity of the gospel. There's this great little Latin phrase that we especially use uh, among the Lutheran church, extra nos. Extra nos means outside of us, outside of us. The gospel comes to us from outside of us. It is true whether or not you feel it, whether or not you feel it, because there's going to be days when you wake up and you're, you're like, you know what? I just don't feel like being a Christian today. Uh, I'm just not, I just don't want to do it. But whatever we're feeling, still Jesus is risen from the dead. See, your bad days don't invalidate the greatest day of, of Easter. See, Still, Christ is risen from the dead. And that's a great gift because some days you do just have to drag yourself into worship. Saying, I'm just not feeling it. But even when you're not feeling it, the Lord is, so to speak, feeling it on your behalf. You know, and when, um, as those emotions that sometimes you just you can't pray at all. And so I, I use the method of saying, Christ's, what are the characteristics? Yeah, he's sure. Holy, yes. he's faithful, and then all of a sudden, that outside, yeah. you're not in it alone. That's right. Uh, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with, word, with words, groans that words can't express. And Jesus himself is interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. What comfort and gift that we have. So Paul goes on from there with his next antidote to anxiety, if you will. Verse five, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Now, there's more than one way to understand this. I think Paul is being deliberately ambiguous. So one way to hear that is just Paul saying in, in the uh, general sense, the Lord is near to you. I'm with you always, Jesus says. The sense that God is always with you. He's accompanying you on the way of life. That's part of it. But I think also Paul has in mind here the coming and the return of Christ. The Greek word he uses here is the word angus, angus, which is often associated with the second coming, the return of our Lord Jesus. And so I think Paul is not only stating a fact, Jesus is near you, he's with you, but he is also hinting at this promise and this hope that we have, and he is coming again. And so that second 
antidote to anxiety, I would say, is to remember the end. Remember the end. As he said in Philippians chapter three, we fix our eyes on the prize, right? We keep our eyes on the prize as we are looking forward to that future hope. Well, interestingly, the, the uh, philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who is not famous for his Christian faith, in fact, just the opposite, although he was, I'm sad to say, the son of a Lutheran pastor. Oh, yeah. But Friedrich Nietzsche once said, and this was true, that he who has a why can endure anyhow. He who has a why can endure anyhow. When we have this ultimate why of the coming of Christ and looking forward to that hope, then we can endure anyhow in, in the midst of um, trials, in the midst of difficulties, because we know how the story ends. Any of you read books that way? Flip to the end of it. Sally, I know you don't want any of us to read your books this way. Um, flip to the end, see what happens. Oh, okay, I better keep reading. Um, but this is the, the gift that God has given to us in scriptures, the revelation of pulling back. Here's what we're looking forward to. Therefore, in the, in the middle, we're able to endure it. So Paul, this is another antidote to anxiety that when we just can't deal with it, when the struggle is so hard, still we have this ultimate hope. Come on in, right? okay. We're just having Bible study, come on in. Okay, or you don't have to, that's all right too. Um, and I've, I've mentioned this many times before, but I, I will keep doing so. This is where I love the motto of uh, my uh, mentor and professor, uh, Jeff Gibbs, who will be doing the Luther Hostel Week at camp this summer. And he's had on his wall in his study at the, at the seminary, perhaps today, perhaps today, those two words. And for all of us, I think that's a good motto to abide by each day, perhaps. Today. What do you mean by perhaps today? Perhaps today, Jesus will return. Perhaps today is the day when Jesus comes back. No one knows the day or hour. This is as good a day as any. Perhaps today, the Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. All right, the third antidote to anxiety is persistent prayers of thanks. Persistent prayers of thanks. So verse six, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Uh, we heard just a moment ago about the liturgy, and there's that great line in what we call the, the proper preface. Therefore, it, uh, it is meet, right, and salutary at all times and in all places to do what? Amen. Give thanks. <laughs> to give thanks. The word Eucharist comes from the Greek word eucharistia, meaning thanksgiving. And Ooh, uh, I, I forget who said it, but sometimes we have to pray prayers of thanks through gritted teeth, right? But still, at all times and in all places, prayers of thanks. Because it's out of that, that heart, that attitude of gratitude then, that our anxiety is actually quelled. You know, when we're, we find ourselves in a place where you're, we're just grumbling about things, and looking at all the ways things are not going right for us. I can't believe this is happening. Nobody else in the history of the world has ever had to deal with what I'm going through. Not true. We lose sight of all of the many gifts. I mean, there's great spiritual wisdom in that uh, uh, movie, White Christmas, right? You guys know the song. Uh, when I, oh, Ann, help me out here. When I'm troubled and I can't sleep, I count my instead of sheep. That's right. I count my blessings instead of sheep. That, this is basically what Paul's saying here. To be thankful in all circumstances, to pray to the Lord, because as Jesus says in Matthew 6, and why don't we go there, that great passage on, 
on worry and anxiety. In the midst of the, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, starting with uh, verse 25. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more, of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Literally a cubit to your height. Okay? I wish that I could add a cubit to my height by being more anxious. Right. Amen. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory wasn't arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, I don't want us to hear this passage as though Jesus is scolding the disciples and saying, hey, quit being anxious. Stop worrying. How dare you worry? Instead, there's almost this kind of playfulness about the Lord. There's kind of some ribbing here. Like, guys, you know who I am? You believe that I'm the son of God? That I'm in charge of everything? Why are you still worrying? As my grandpa used to give me what he called a Dutch rub. All right? Yeah. A noogie, basically. Right? I, Jesus is basically giving them a, a spiritual noogie here. Saying, guys, come on. You know that I'm the son of God. You don't need to worry. Look at the birds. Do you see the birds with their big old barns and they're collecting it all, lamenting? I can't believe it. I no. Are the flowers out there feeling sorry for themselves? That, that Why don't they have better clothes? Why can't they run down to Macy's and get a new, new outfit? No. God takes care of them. So you and I don't have to be anxious either. Because what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying, is that you can't do anything about those anxieties, but God can. So instead, take them off of your shoulders. And literally, I find it to be helpful in, in my prayers to even do this. Maybe you think this is too hokey or whatever, but to like physically pretend I'm taking these off of my shoulders and putting them onto Jesus' shoulders. The one who said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take it off of your shoulders, put it on him. Cast all your anxieties on the Lord for he cares for you, the scripture says. So this is the third antidote to anxiety, persistent prayers of thanks. And here I, I could have quoted this at, at different points, but I wanted to quote for you from uh, Abby's Woods, actually. Anyone know the trail Abby's Woods? This is, Carla knows it. Yeah, it's one of our great Arcadia Dunes trails. So if you go over on um, St. Pierre Road, so go up Glover's Lake, take a left at St. Pierre and go a couple of miles. And then on your right, there's gonna be a trailhead. And from my experience, it's one of the most neglected of all the trailheads around here. And incidentally, this is kind of a side note, but I find it so fascinating. Um, many of you know our family connection through Anne's side, that she's the great, great, great granddaughter of Henry Starkey. Very cool. But then I find out a family connection on my side. So Abby's Woods is named for this young woman, Abby Gartland, who's, who was married. She has since 
passed. Uh, she died at my age of, of cancer. Brain. A brain tumor. Yeah. She was married to my second cousin, Brian Darkman. And I only found that, this out after the fact. What in the world? If you go over to Abby's Woods, there's a trail and there's a, a bench about halfway along the trail. And there's a plaque, a quote from Abby on there. And on it, it says this. Gratitude is the key to staying in the light. Happiness is in the heart, not the circumstances. Offering those persistent prayers of thanks keeps us in the light of the Lord, remembering that in the midst of all of those shifting circumstances, he is still faithful, he is still good. We give thanks to him for that. All right, the fourth antidote to anxiety. If I'm going too fast here, just stop me. If you've got a question or comment or whatever, just raise your hand or shout it out. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no handouts. I'm, looking, I'm always looking for handouts. I know. I only give hands up here. No. Um, we'll be here all week. Hey, you guys are a tough crowd, I guess. Um, so, no, no handouts. I'm just working my way through it. So, but if you, if you have questions afterward, I'd be happy to uh, um, fill you back in. So, the, the fourth antidote to anxiety feed the right things. Feed the right things. Um, I heard this quote from somebody recently. Said they encourage us to feed the good and starve the bad. Feed the good and starve the bad. So um, to go back to uh, Philippians 4, Paul puts this in his own words, his own uh, manner of speaking, in Philippians 4, verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Fix your hearts and mind on those good things. Feed the good and starve the bad. Look to the lovely. And it strikes me that in our modern world, it is so easy to feed the bad. Am I right? Those anxiety inducers. Here's the worst habit you could possibly have if you want to somehow kick your anxiety. You wake up first thing in the morning and for your alarm clock, you use your smartphone. You, before you even roll out of bed, you grab your phone and you start looking at the news or at your Facebook feed or on the sort of, if you do this, I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty, but to encourage you, stop for the love of all that is holy. Stop doing that. Put your phone in the other room. We don't need a dose of anxiety right when we start the day. You just don't. You just don't. Feed the good, starve the bad. Now, maybe on your phone, the first thing you use your phone for your devotions or your Bible or something like that. I might be willing to let that go. But it is way too easy to get an actual Bible that is printed, all right, or devotional book. I, I just, uh, you know, because you pick up those things, and what are they doing all the time? It's, it's pinging at you. What's happening? Something's happening in the world. Or there's this comic uh, cartoon that I saw a long time ago. The man, uh, the, the guy is, is at his desk, and he's, he's typing furiously. He's got, furiously, he's got the, his angry face. And his wife is at the door saying, honey, come to bed. And he says, wait, there's something wrong on the internet. <laughs> we can't live that way. If we don't want to live in that spiral of anxiety, for some of you, it's not the internet, but some, it's cable news, right? Which has to artificially generate a constant cycle of outrage and anxiety. 
It doesn't matter what your cable news station of choice is. They all do it, all right? This is not a political statement. It is a statement about where our culture is at and the way that it works, okay? Turn it off. Um, instead of having you know, uh, the news station in the background, turn on the Food Network, okay? Whoa. Way more relaxing. It's gonna make you hungry, okay? It might create other issues for you, but it is going to help, you know, they're always, or Bob Ross, remember Bob Ross? You know, he's the, the painter, the guy with the big bushy hair. Now we're gonna paint some happy trees here. Yes. yes. We need happy trees rather than angry talking heads. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox. Sorry, Mom. I just get riled up about this because it's so easy for us to feed the bad and starve the good. And Paul's telling us, no, starve the bad, feed the good. Yeah, Peter. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Take an inventory. That's right. So yeah, logizomai, from which we get logic and, and logical and so forth. But it has with carries with it this um, notion of an accounting. Um, it's the same word that's used, for instance, in Romans chapter six, uh, when Paul says, "Consider yourselves, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus." So it's take this accounting. Okay, not just not just look at or consider in a kind of a passive way, but in an engaged, active way, you know, take an accounting. Look at all the good and, and beautiful and lovely and right things that are there before you. Yeah, thank you for, for pointing that out. Sally, did you have a hand up? Well, you wouldn't have said this, but you're on YouTube. <laughs> What's that? I'm on YouTube. Yeah. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's like, if you're going to, um, you know, whether it be looking at Facebook or on YouTube or something, there's good stuff out there. You you look at those things, right? Like you said, the Psalmanac. Uh, or, but um, even uh, on Facebook, there's a, a page that I've liked where, I forget exactly what it's called, but it's like the Good News Network or something like that. Like those are the things you want to be popping up and not all the stuff that's like, look at this horrible thing that somebody said. Aren't you outraged by this? And it's, yeah, I am outraged. And then what does that do? All it does is just make you more anxious and you're not actually able to fix it. So, all right. Uh, they, go ahead. Speaking of that, when you first started, I was thinking of the media 24 7. We get so much bombardment. Right. That. Talk about the, the bad instead of the good. Now they have this um, uh, uh, clash between. Brooks Kepka, who's a golfer, and DeChambeau. Okay. And they are, are um, at, at loggerheads. Yeah, they're at each other. And someone wrote in, that is the best thing for golf. Going yes, on. right. <laughs> this is it's, it's a good thing that there's this conflict, right? Yeah, the conflict. Oh, this is great. Right. Exactly. Because I mean, I started out as a journalism major, and you guys know the motto of, of journalism. If it bleeds it leads right? <laughs> maybe it's an awful thing to say but the focus is on the negative it's just by the nature of it that's what people want want to read that's yeah. what you're still doing he bled and that leads hey all right i like i see what you've done there yeah um i don't know the uh, greek word that translates it uh, virtue 
But um, William Bennett in his book, Contrast Between Virtue and Values, mm. that virtues are more lasting yeah. and values are temporary. Look how many times we talk about values sure. in our culture, and that's not the last thing as a virtue. As a virtue. Yeah, that's right. And um, the, the word there, I, I happen to know, is arete. And it's even more significant that Paul uses this word arete because arete was the word from classical Greek for virtue. That was, um, sometimes it was just translated as excellence. And this is what Aristotle would talk about, the importance of arete and keeping virtue, this is the way he would put it, like the sun in the heavens, see? And uh, I think when we look at that virtue as being fulfilled, in, in the man, Jesus Christ, in the ultimate virtuous one, then it gives it causes us to, to spur on to follow, to seek out not just values, which can be kind of flimsy, but virtues and the virtues of our Lord Jesus. Okay, we've got a few minutes. I want to, to uh, tie a bow on this. So we've got one more um, uh, antidote to anxiety for you. Number five, which is practice intentional acts of kindness. <laughs> Practice intentional acts of kindness. You guys remember this bumper sticker? Maybe some of you had it. Practice random acts of kindness, right? And I never quite understood that because if you're saying I'm going to practice random acts, it can't be random because you put some forth. I'm thinking too much about a bumper sticker, obviously. Um, but what Paul would encourage us to is to be intentional about what we're practicing. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. And this is important. Not only do we want to think about these things and to have a mental accounting, but we also need to practice them. Not just good thoughts, but good actions. And to circle back to what we said earlier, many times you start with your actions and then your heart follows, right? For you, you do what you know you are called to do, the right thing to do. Maybe at first your heart isn't in it. That's okay then your heart will maybe get dragged along by your hands as you are leaning into, into that action. This is also why I'm a big advocate for our Bible study, I think it was preceding this Philippian study, was on spiritual disciplines. Because spiritual disciplines are another thing that helps us to be firmly rooted in the truth, even when my outward circumstances aren't, aren't uh, necessarily helping me in, in my path of faith. Still, if I've got that discipline of daily devotion, of um, reading God's word and praying, if I have that regular discipline of confessing my sins to the Lord and perhaps even to another person, if I've got that, that regular discipline of praise, of singing praise to God and so on and so forth, those are the kinds of actions of those intentional acts, as well as, of course, acts of serving neighbor and caring for others in witness and in mercy. All right, so these are your five antidotes to anxiety, as I've set it up from Paul here. Let me just uh, quickly run it down again, since I didn't get your hand up, if you'd like to keep, keep it for yourself. So first, rejoice always, even when you don't feel like it, especially when you don't feel like it. Secondly, remember the end. Keep our eyes on that prize. Thirdly, persistent prayers of thanksgiving. Fourth, feed the right things. Feed the good, starve the bad. And fifth, Practice intentional acts of kindness. The bottom line, as Paul says in verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace is your guardian. You and I don't have the strength to escape anxiety in, in our own, in ourselves. 
but you are guarded. It's as though you were sentinel around you and me. That peace of God that surpasses all our, we can't make sense of it, can't make heads or tails of it, but it is always there protecting you, defending you, keeping watch. And this next week's Psalm and Act, and I'm praying through it this week, is Psalm 121. Um, um, so not tomorrow, but the, the following. Psalm 121, um, lift up your eyes to the hills. Where does your help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Um, behold, he who keeps you will not slumber. The Lord neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's always on guard for you and for me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that your peace all, that surpasses all understanding does always guard our hearts in Christ Jesus. And in the midst of anxieties, in the midst of, of darkness and even despair, we pray that you would lift our hearts with your glad good news, that you would give us that peace that surpasses all understanding in our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for being here and for your participation. So I haven't heard anybody call. Francis Shaker in a long time. Yeah. Is he 